Welcome to Knowledge on the Go, where we explore the leading practices that have emerged in Vizian's performance improvement programs. I'm Laura Hoffman, PI Program Director at Vizian and your program host. Restraints can have a negative emotional impact on pediatric patients. Being physically restrained can be traumatic and lead to feelings of helplessness, anxiety, and loss of control. Having to put pediatric patients in restraints takes a toll on staff as well. So here to talk to us today about their journey towards zero restraint use in pediatric psychiatry are Tanya Isaacs, Behavioral Health Clinical Instructor, and Cheryl Miller, Behavioral Health Registered Nurse from the Queens Medical Center in Honolulu, Hawaii. Welcome to the program, Tanya and Cheryl. I'm so glad you could join me today. It's our pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting us. Queen's Medical Center has been on a journey to zero restraint use in your pediatric psychiatry unit. Tanya, I'd like to start by asking, how did you determine that this was the right path to take? Restraints, historically used to manage difficult patients, right? This is something that was used as a resource when we had a challenging, difficult patient. Maybe there was a safety concern, but the practice itself is pretty barbaric, If you were ever part of a restraint event, you know it's pretty traumatizing and it's just a lot of things going on there that really does not help with that therapeutic bond that you're trying to create with your patient. In 2019, my former manager and I, we went to the American Psychiatric Nurses Association. We went to this conference and we looked at the different poster presentations and we noticed that a lot of the adolescent psychiatric units nationwide, we're going to a restraint-free practice. And we're like, wow, that's amazing. How are they doing that? We want to do that too. We want to jump on that. We came back all hyped and excited and that started our journey. I can certainly understand from a pragmatic standpoint why the shift to zero restraints. But Tanya, you had a defining moment that actually helped to solidify this decision. Can you tell us more about that? I think anybody who's worked in the psychiatric arena And if they were ever part of a restraining event, they're going to tell you a story. Just thinking of one event, just off the top of my head, where there was a patient that we had for several weeks, and she was very difficult, very shut down, very challenging. She was a self-harmer. And I worked for weeks with her trying to build this relationship. And I came on shift one day, and they were in the process of putting her into restraints. I don't know what precipitated this. But by the time I came on, she was already in the restraint chair. And when she saw me, she looked at me, pleaded for my help. And in that moment, I couldn't do anything. I felt powerless. I couldn't explain to her why I couldn't give her the help that she was asking me for. I couldn't justify the actions of us putting her into a restraint. It made me feel like, why are we doing this? How are we helping her? We worked with her for so long for these last couple of weeks, trying to get her into a place where she trusts us. And now we put her into this restraint chair and I could just see that therapeutic bond just disintegrating in front of my eyes. Like the very fibers of it was just falling apart. And so by her pleading with me and I not being able to help her, I left work and all I could think about was how did I fail? How could I have done better? What did I do wrong? How could I have helped her more? That was that moment where I was like, no, this this has got to stop. That's really a powerful story, Tanya. Cheryl, you were involved in this project from the beginning as well. Did you have a defining moment when you knew that the work ahead of you would be worth doing? We had a patient. She was a sex trafficked victim. 
She was unfortunately a victim for a couple of years. When she came to us, she was very resistant to treatment. She was very violent at times. She would strike out at staff. She would kick and bite staff. The one thing that stood out in my mind and traumatized me also was when we had to put her into a hands-on situation, and then we had to put her into mechanical restraints. Now, in order to do this, we actually have to have the support of other staff members like security and our sister staff, Kekela. If you know security guards, you know that they are big people. They're not the smallest, scrawniest people you can find. They have a tendency to be on the larger side. And unfortunately, restraining a patient who has been sex trafficked, it becomes a bigger traumatizing event because they actually have a tendency to relive things. So when we actually had to put this patient into restraints, we had to put her into the restraint chair. And she was crying and begging for us to release her. Unfortunately, I was the point person. She looked at me straight in the eyes and she was begging for me to release her. And I couldn't because she was so assaultive because she couldn't calm down. And that right there was my moment where I knew we had to have a better way of doing things. Thanks so much for sharing this deeply personal story. And I love that you realize that there has to be a better way. Tanya, walk us through how you began this initiative. Sure, sure. So the organization we work for, they're super supportive with evidence-based practice projects. And so when we came back from that conference in New Orleans, uh, the APNA conference, we, we thought, oh, let's put together a team. Let's apply for this initiative. So our hospital was partnered with the Hawaii State Center of Nursing, and they did this year-long initiative where they would meet with us every single month and walk us through the evidence-based practice project. And so they helped us with our forming our PICO statement, doing our literature search and our appraisals and digging through the evidence. They were so great and they were so supportive. So I really thank our organization, Queens, as well as the Hawaii State Center of Nursing for helping us along. We got our team formed together, Cheryl and another partner, but we started digging through the evidence and we realized that really it's all about early recognition, finding out when that patient is starting to escalate, not when they're full-blown upset, right? We want to catch them really early. And then we have to intervene early, right? We see these early signs of somebody falling apart and dysregulating. This is when we step in. We don't step in when it's too late, right? We needed to get in early. So what we did was we came up with the DASA. Well, we didn't come up with the DASA. The DASA was already created, but we decided to utilize the DASA as a screening tool. So the DASA is the Dynamic Appraisal of Situational Aggression Screening Tool, and it's designed specifically for mental health patients to see if they have any impending signs of physical or verbal aggression coming. And then the ultimate focus was to not only recognize these signs early, but also intervene early. So we came up with this how to help me plan as a resource for staff to help de-escalate or to intervene early with a patient. Tanya, the how to help me plan, that's really an interesting name. How does the how to help me plan actually work? It's actually kind of fun. So the how to help me plan, we put this plan together and we do this with the admitting nurse. So whoever does admission for that patient, We'll sit down with a patient and talk to them about what happens when you get upset. Tell us a little bit more. 
So in a collaboration with that patient, we ask them questions like, are you able to tell us when you're upset? Are you able to verbalize it? Are you able to express it? Or what will we see in you physically? What, what happens to your body when you get upset? Do you start to pace? Do you get all red in the face? Are your fists clenched up? Like, how can we tell? Because we want to be able to help you, but we need to know the signs of when you're starting to get upset. And then we ask them about triggers. What triggers you or what makes you upset? Like talking to your mom, is that a trigger for you? Every time you talk to mom, do you notice that you're way more upset? So we would know if that patient has a meeting or a phone call with mom, hey, let's be on high alert, guys. This is one of her triggers. So we identify these triggers early. Sometimes it's talking about a specific subject, right? I don't want to talk about my medicine. Okay, let's remember this, that when we have to address this patient regarding medication, it's a little TLC here because this is one of her triggering events. So we ask more about that. Then we ask about coping strategies, which is super important, right? We ask the patient, when you're upset, when you're home and you're upset, what helps you calm down? What makes you feel better? What can we do here? We can't provide everything, right? They might tell us some negative coping skills, like, oh, you know, when I'm upset, I go do bad things. We said, no, when we're here in the hospital, we want to be able to help you. So tell us about your coping strategies. What do you use? So whether it's maybe punching a pillow or maybe it's using a warm blanket or listening to music. What kind of music do you like? It's not unusual for us to see a patient who is upset and we look at their how to help me plan. It says they like country music. Well, you know what? We're going to go find some country music to help them <laughs> self-soothe, right? So we use these coping strategies as like a resource. The patient has already told us what coping strategies work for them. So let's use it. The plan is so patient-centered. Cheryl, you are currently working as an RN on the unit where this plan is being implemented. How has the How to Help Me plan changed the way you practice as a clinician? It's helped us out tremendously. I'm a nurse that's going on 19 years. And from the beginning, when I started, things are very different. When the patients actually escalated, we would automatically call our support team. And I would say, Eight out of 10 times, the patients would end up in either hands-on or locked seclusion or restraints. And with the How to Help Me plan, it actually gives us a better insight into the patients, the triggers, what helps them to cope with what's going on a little bit better. What can we do to help them to de-escalate in a quicker manner versus letting them continue on with their escalating behaviors? One of the biggest things that I've seen was when we had a patient who was very difficult, ended up in restraints many times because they couldn't self-regulate. They couldn't use their coping skills. They couldn't de-escalate themselves. We familiarize ourselves prior to starting our shifts and we read the how to help me plans on the individual patients. And with this patient, let us know that, hey, when they're starting to escalate, this person needs to like going to the courtyard. This person likes to go play basketball, likes country music. So we took the patient out. Hey, let's go. Come on. I know you're getting irritated. Let's go out. Let's go play basketball. Let's shoot some hoops. You like country music? We'll listen to Jason Aldean. You know, we'll rock out to him. Carrie Underwood's another one. Do you like her or do you rather stick with the guys? Which ones do you want to hear? You know, it actually really does give us a better insight into how these patients are trying to deal with everything that's going on in their lives. And it actually helps us to build a better rapport with these patients also. 
You've both shared a lot about the screening and the patient planning that's taken place, but I think we're all eager to know if you've been able to reduce restraint use in your pediatric patients with mental health issues. So our restraint data, we started in fiscal year 21 as our baseline, and we had a total of seven mechanical restraint events. Once we implemented our project, our restraints reduced. We only had five the following year. So we did have a reduction, but I think it's key to note that that reduction was pretty important because those five events happened early in that fiscal year. And as that project really took hold and the practice change really took hold amongst our staff, we went six months or so without any mechanical restraints. So we did see the success there. And it was super exciting for us Fiscal year 23, we did have a slight uptick for whatever reasons we can't pinpoint at this point, but we are still trending downwards. So we are super excited about that. That's remarkable work. Congratulations. And as I understand, you've actually seen other impacts other than a decrease in restraint use as a result of the How to Help Me program. Tanya, can you elaborate a little more on this? Yeah, I think this is actually probably our most proudest moment, our proud mama moment of this project is that not only did we reduce the use of mechanical restraints, but we look at all the safety data that comes in. So being on a psychiatric mental health unit, you look at things such as hands-on events, right? This is when we actually have to physically restrain a patient or putting a patient in lock seclusion. We look at assaults, whether the patients are attacking each other or our staff. We look at suicide attempts, self-injury first aid that has to be applied due to self-injury, and then property damage. So these are things that we were already kind of tracking on a mental health behavioral health unit. And we noticed that fiscal year 22 and fiscal year 23, all these events trended downward. So this was super exciting for us because we realized mechanical restraints is kind of like the top, right? So that's like your very, very last resort. You use this when you've tried everything else. But all of these events, these hands-on, seclusion, assault, suicide attempts, self-injuries, those are events that are like precursors to mechanical restraint. Those are the type of events that if they're not intervened properly or we don't get in and we don't try to catch it early, those lead up to mechanical restraints. So the fact that all of those were trending down is a huge, huge success for our team because this shows that we are intervening early. We are catching it early on and trying to do something about it early on to prevent it from getting to that level where the patient is being put in a mechanical restraint. So super happy about that data. This has been an incredible conversation, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this edition of Knowledge on the Go. I want to sincerely thank Tanya and Cheryl for sharing their passion and incredible journey to zero restraint use in pediatric psychiatry. And thanks to you for listening. Please join us for more Knowledge on the Go. Subscribe today, like us, and send us your comments at picollaboratives at visianinc.com. From Vizient's PI Programs team, I'm Laura Hoffman. Have a great day.